What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This is Jake Hofer, and this week we have a great episode. It's a first time land buyer episode where Al bought his first farm, rolled it into the next one, and he's currently living on it. Some really great insight and some good advice. <clears throat> Hope you guys really enjoyed this. He's self-employed and talked about some of the specific things that would relate to that. So before we do get into the episode here today, I want to say this. The Exodus Rival is up and live on the ExodusOutdoorGear.com website. You can use the code RIVAL to save $30 and get that camera for under $150. It's going to be covered by a half a decade warranty, a five-year no BS warranty. Great opportunity. I've had the opportunity to test this camera basically all fall, and it was really reliable. It took really nice photos. And for the price, I truly feel it is one of the best options available in the marketplace right now. It is on the AT&T network. So it just communicates with the AT&T towers, but it'll send to your Scout Tech app no matter where you're at or what signal you have on your phone. So we have all the details about that product on Exodus, or you can go and watch the live stream where we answered live Q&A questions. And everything you should know about the camera will be right there in that video. I encourage you to go check that out. And for everyone that did place an order, I want to say thank you so much. It is how we keep the lights on around here. It is how we move forward. I don't have a ton of sponsors on here. We don't have a ton of sponsors on the Exodus content. We simply provide value and return of hopefully you guys supporting us with good products that we put out there. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to also say the goal of it, the goal of the whole reason why I've done this is to simply help people and the goal is to help 100 people buy their first farm. There's three ways to be included on that. Number one, if you are in Illinois and you're in my area, I'm happy to assist you as a buyer's agent. Number two, if you wanna do business with someone I would personally do business with outside of Illinois, I will be happy to get you connected. If I don't know anyone there, I will tell you that. Number three, if you simply learn something from this project, let me know, I wanna add you to the spreadsheet. And if it helps you move forward with confidence, that is what we're trying to do here. <clears throat> We had a really long intro last week. Let's just get right into this with Al. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Here we go. Al, welcome to the Land Podcast. How's it going? Going well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we've had a chance to talk a little bit back and forth on Instagram. You bought a farm or you went under contract on a farm last October. Is that right? That's correct. We went under contract on it in uh, June, actually, and closed on in October. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're really... I always enjoy these conversations to hear uh, what the entire process looked like for you because it's it's a really giant decision. It's a, a long process. Um, it's something that I take a little bit for granted because I do it more often just with clients. But uh, right. for you, it's it, it for everyone, it's a big deal. But anyhow, take a chance to introduce yourself. Uh, you can share where you're at in the country and what you do for a living. Yep. My name is Al Von Gundin. Uh, I live up in Western New York, Allegheny County. Uh, specifically, it's just above the Pennsylvania line. So I'm about an hour from Buffalo, give or take. And I own a uh, predictive maintenance company. So I work in the industrial field at troubleshoot, um, electric motors, gearboxes, fans, that sort of thing. Um, so can you, can you explain what can you explain what predictive maintenance means? Because I've never that's a term I've never heard of, and I might be dumb for asking that. No, no, there's not a lot of people that are in the field. Um, basically, it's uh, I use vibration analysis to take readings on motors, gearboxes, fan bearings, and whatnot to look for bad bearings or issues with the motors. And a typical day for me is I'll go into a some sort of manufacturing site or whatnot and say they've got you know 60 pieces of equipment between pumps fans and other things and i'll take readings on everything and then send them a report tell them what's bad what needs to be fixed what's good mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing and you own that you run that business 
I do. Yes. I worked for, um, I worked for a guy for three years and, uh, he retired about this time last year. So I, uh, I bought the assets of the company and, uh, and started my own business out of that. That's cool. That's, that's one of those things that people literally never think of, of, uh, of a business. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's probably very important for really expensive machines and engines. It is. Yes. I mean, you know, the, the cost of me letting them know that something's going wrong before it actually does, you know, it far outweighs the cost of uh, unplanned downtime. So, yeah. So did you want to be self-employed previously or, or did, was there a career transition like about three um, years ago? It sort of fell on my lap, to be honest with you. Um, I, I never really thought about owning a business. I don't come from an entrepreneurial family. Um, I was just a regular W-2 guy for, for a long time. I thought that's what I was going to be, but ended up getting into this and it's worked out well. I'm enjoying it so far, you know, being my own boss and all that's, it's pretty nice. So. Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what's been one of the biggest struggles of being self-employed though over the last three years? Um, keeping track of the books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all, all the paperwork that I don't want to do, but I have to do anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, Doing the work itself, that's not not a big deal. You know, doing the scheduling and everything is is pretty pretty straightforward. But keeping track of the books and taxes and all that is way way out more than I thought it would be. That's almost sure. another full time job. You know, keeping track of everything, keeping track of the numbers. Well, yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with that. So yeah, it's it is a lot of spreadsheets. Um, what yeah. what's been one of the best things that that has been uh, that you've learned over the last three years of running your own business? Um. Probably just being able to make my own schedule and, uh, you know, I'm at the mercy of my clients at some point, you know, there's times where they got to have me or whatnot, but for the most part, I make my own schedule and we've got a two-year-old daughter. So my wife works part-time so I can work my schedule around hers. We don't have to send her to daycare or anything like that. We can keep everything right at the house and it's, it's nice. So I don't, I don't miss out on anything, you know, that is cool. Yeah. That's worth a lot. That's definitely mm-hmm. worth a lot. So I guess getting right into things here. I mean, how long have you wanted to own a piece of ground? Or just tell me a little bit of a history or a little bit more of your background in regard to that. Um, for a long time. That's uh, that's what I wanted <laughs> since I was, you know, just a, a young man. Uh, I'm 33 now. But even when I started hunting probably 15 years ago, I'm. it's been said on your podcast 100 times, but you used to be able to go just about anywhere you wanted, you know, thousands of acres. You could just go knock talk to the farmer he'd turn you loose and you know we could hunt whole townships if we wanted to Mm -hmm. and then slowly but surely probably within the last five to ten years it's really gotten to where everything's you know posted up leasing's not that big of a thing around here but just posting up you know the farmers don't want the hassle of dealing with guys coming in and out and kind of saw the writing on the wall that if i wanted to you know keep hunting and have good hunting i was going to have to own my own land Mm because there's some state land around but it's not you know, it's state land. It's not the greatest quality stuff. So yeah. So one, the, on my radar. so one of the biggest motivations was just having a place of your own to have better hunting or more control over it. Yeah. Mainly more control over it. And my wife likes to hunt too. So she, she can get out a little bit and not have to worry about anybody else being back there. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't have a problem you know, hiking a couple miles back in through to, to get to a good spot, but that's not, you know, some, she's not going to enjoy that. So yeah, it's yeah, a lot nicer to have a place right out, right out back where we can go and be back at the house in five minutes if we want to, you know? Oh, that's great. So yeah, let's talk about that. So w- I guess what was the search like? What was the search process like for you or how long did you end up look, looking for a piece of ground? We didn't 
so we we used we owned 30 acres before this 85 that we have now mm -hmm. um i bought bought that back in 2018 i think it was or 19 and probably two days before we were set to close on that 30 acres with the house we found out that the previous owners had signed a good neighbor agreement with a windmill company and there was going to be wind turbines all around it and we didn't know about that so we we ended up you know we told them hey we want some money back and we just decided we we're going to close on it and if it ever came to when they were actually going to build the windmills we would consider how that was going to impact our life and whether you know if we needed to make a move at that point then we would mm -hmm. so we close on the 30 acres it was uh it was a nice place right up on a hilltop it was all field um at a nice house, good location right where we needed to be at the time. And we lived there for about three years and we bought that, you know, well before the market had exploded like it did in the last couple of years. So we got got into the 30 acres at a pretty good price. Mm -hmm. And um, then fast forward to this beginning of 22, they started construction on the windmill project um, in 21. And then they it was broken up into two phases. And the second phase was supposed to be the windmills basically surrounding our property. And, they're like 600 foot windmills. They're the big ones. Oh yeah. And we just didn't want to deal with that. Deal with the noise and uh, oh yeah, all day. <laughs> it went right into the west. So every sunset we would have had, you know, the shadows and and all that. So we decided, you know what, the market was pretty good. So we're gonna if we find something good, then we'll we'll put an offer in and list our house and see if we can and make it work. Mm -hmm. So this property had popped up a few times but it was parceled off they had it in separate parcels and it wasn't set up real real well on the mls websites you couldn't tell that it was you know full 85 acres it was broken up into three sections uh a 60 and then a 10 with a barn and then a 10 with the house mm. so by the eventually we ended up putting two and two together and saw it was a pretty good chunk of property and we wanted to come look at it so we got this was probably in the beginning of June. We drove down here and checked it out, walked the whole place, and we decided to put an offer in on all of the parcels and then then list our house. So they ended up accepting our our offer and everything mm -hmm. that we wanted with it. And then we had the, the long task of getting our house sold. So Yeah, well, I have a question. So when you guys found out about the uh, potential wind, windmills going up, you know, a day before closing, it, if you want to give a percentage or a how much were you guys able to renegotiate right there at the end to, to get the deal to move forward? Was it a good chunk or was it? Basically, yeah. So for the numbers wise, the purchase price of the house with 30 acres was $170,000. Mm -hmm. And then we got them to take 10 grand off it. Yeah. Right that's off a, yeah. So it's pretty substantial. Yeah, I would agree. And so when you mentioned the, the process of selling your house, was it harder to sell with those windmills coming up? Were people spooky about it or? I bet it probably cost us 10% of the purchase price or sale oh, yeah. price, you know, yeah. at least, you know, maybe more. Uh -huh. um, and this not just money wise, but probably, you know, it was 50-50 on everybody that looked at our house. Once they knew that the windmills were going to be there, half of them were not interested right off, right off mm -hmm. of that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's the, that's the struggle when you're buying, uh, against anything like that, or maybe you have a ginormous transmission line in your backyard. I mean, right. it'll deter some people, but maybe if it doesn't bother you. Maybe you get a better deal, but regardless, I, I, I'm with you. I probably wouldn't want to hear a windmill outside my house. Every day. Yeah. And, uh, the lady that ended up buying our place, you know, she didn't care at all. She said, oh, cool. Windmills, you know, did not, didn't even phase her. Then other people would, you know, pull in the driveway, turn around, drive right off. Yeah. So, 
it's just personal preference. Yeah, that's it. Only takes one buyer, as cliche that is when uh, when you're selling something, it just takes one person. So um, when you so you got that under contract, and then you bought this uh, other parcel. I mean, so this this all kind of happened kind of fast from the sounds of it. Is that right? It was. Yes, we went from planning on staying at our previous home forever, then maybe trying to find another track to land, just the hunting piece to basically saying we're selling this place, we're buying something else within a couple of weeks. You know, yeah. it was it was a quick, big decision, pretty quick. Yeah. And uh, it took us a while to sell our other house. So I don't know if you remember, because we, we listed it in early June. And that's right when the, the market around here anyway, really started to take a nosedive. Interest rates were coming up. Mm-hmm. And um, we still we still sold our previous house for 60 grand more than what we bought it for after three years. So it's a pretty good return. Yeah. But we probably we probably could have got another 30 if we'd have listed it just a month sooner. Yeah. I mean, everything was, it was flying off the shelves before before we listed ours. And then it just stopped almost dead in its tracks. As soon as our listing hit, hit the MLS, it was crickets. crickets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, the, that's such a great point to bring up because everyone wants to quote unquote time the market, but you, yeah. you really can't. I mean, I feel like for your instance, you guys wanted to move. So that's mm-hmm. your motivation. It's not trying to perfectly time the market and optimize every single penny. Like, right. Yeah, I don't know. If someone can do that, congrats. I can't. <laughs> I can't predict no. that. <laughs> you gotta but, be lucky. I mean, we were we were lucky when we bought our place. You know, we got into it pretty relatively cheaply for you know 30 acres in a house and 160 is a pretty good price. And I did a VA loan for that, so I didn't have to put any money down. Um, oh nice. And it worked, it worked out, worked yeah. out pretty well. And then just nobody could have predicted the market was going to do what it did in the three years after that, that we would get that return. Yeah. So I guess in a way we sort of did time the market well, but nobody could see that coming. Nobody knows what next month's going to bring, let alone, you know, another year. So. Nope. We can only just guess. And the other thing too, with, excuse me, with your VA loan, mm-hmm. I think that's something interesting to talk about that we haven't. So I think yeah. some people would think, well, a VA loan, there's no way I could buy a house in acreage. Um, you can. So explain yeah. maybe some things you learned uh, with the VA loan. So the biggest hurdle with the VA loan is one, there's a lot of paperwork. It's so just for background, I did the VA loan first. And then on our second loan, I just used a local bank that I do business. My business banking goes through them as well, mm-hmm. which was a whole lot easier. Um, with the VA loan, they want an awful lot of information from you. You know, they want your pay stubs at the end of the week for the whole time from when you go under contract to when you sell, you know, they want to make sure that you're, you're not going to screw it up. Um, the home inspection is a big deal. It's got to be move in ready with no issues. Um, you can't tell them, you know, the roof's leaking. You can't tell them, well, you know, I'll do the roof once we close. Like, you know, everything has to be 100% work in order at the time of closing. And then the, probably the biggest hurdle with buying a house with acreage on the VA loan is the appraisal because mm-hmm. a lot of appraisers don't take land or they don't know how to take land values and work that in with the appraisal which I don't know why it's such a problem for them, but for whatever reason, they just, they don't like seeing land with it because it it just throws up some sort of red flag to them. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing too, and this is just my experience with doing VA loans here. A lot of times the appraiser from where I'm at in the country is coming from like two hours away. And so they have absolutely no clue about the market. And so I always try to meet them at those appraisals and like, I'm not telling you how to do your job, but if you have any questions or you need any anything, let yeah. me know because don't yeah, kill this darn deal. <laughs> yeah, don't don't yeah. kill this thing. Uh, yeah, you want to have some 
we have some comparables ready for them. <laughs> Just say, hey, you know, here's here's how you can look at the land and, and all yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Which... appraised well, but it only appraised maybe two or three thousand above asking price. Yeah, it was it was close. That happens a lot. It, it really does. And for whatever reason, that's just kind of how that typically happens. That's just from what I've seen on a lot of them. And the uh, and honestly, I've never had a VA loan go sideways too. So I'm not trying to discourage anyone uh, mm-hmm. either. And so I think it's a great it's a great option, honestly, for a I think it is because what the VA loan really did for us is obviously there was there was no money down when we bought our first property. Then we ended up getting ten grand back at closing because of the windmill thing. Yep. And then when we rolled into our next purchase, but, yeah, when like, you put no money down too, you guys walked out <laughs> nice with that. Yeah, and then we can roll into our next purchase here and have the proceeds from the sale of our previous home cover the down payment on the new property. So basically, that, I'd ended up. Money. Yeah, I had to put in. We put like ten grand down on closing when we bought this place, but closing costs were. 70,000 and 60 of that was covered by the sale of the previous yeah. property. So got into 85 acres with the house for, you know, 10 grand down basically out of pocket. <laughs> yeah. So that, that worked out very well for us. Yeah. That's amazing. One thing too, uh, in terms about the VA loan, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not a lender, but correct me if I'm wrong. You, you could not have any income on that uh, parcel. Correct. So if you had mm-hmm. tillable, they wouldn't factor it in. No. Okay. Yep. So it um, basically you could, I mean, you could have, tillable acres there but they're not going to factor that in for your approval okay okay interesting okay well yeah that's and talk a little bit about going from the va loan and then to a a local lender too what that process looked like or the pros and cons of each well the local lender was very very easy to work with um i was concerned because we had just i just bought the business within the last year so i didn't have the history the work history to go yeah. along with it. But what I did have was the tax returns from the business that I bought, plus an up-to-date P&L and all the paperwork showing where I was at at that point in the year. And then my wife's, you know, she has her work history. Um, but going through the local bank was very easy. You know, I just sent them all my documents. All right, I'll get back to you tomorrow. You know, they they take it up the chain, talk to whoever they got to talk to and say, yep, you're approved. Here's your pre-approval letter. Awesome. And I was asking them like, all right, what else do you need? Let me know when you need it. Need it. You know, I'm like, no, that's it. You're good. You know, just don't wow. go and buy a boat or anything, you know, <laughs> within the, until we close on this. But they were so easy to work with. And I had, you know, you have your loan officer's number and whenever you need something, you call them and he answers right away. It's not like using one of the big banks where you might talk to somebody different or it's impossible to get a hold of your loan officer or anything like that. It's yeah. It's very easy. And I can drive down there and talk to them if I got to. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so, that's so important. I think that changes the process. And it, to be to be completely honest, too, that's pretty awesome that they were able to let you do that with being self, newly self-employed, too, with the brand new business. That's Yeah, that's I was really pretty worried great. about it. If I didn't have, you know, the, the P&Ls and showing the old business history and my accounts receivable, I had everything ready for them. So they could see exactly because it's hard to put a number on how much money you make when you run your own business. It's, yeah. uh, it's like, you know, money's coming in, it's going out, but trying to forecast, you know, what it's going to look like at the end of the year is pretty tough, especially in the middle of the year. Uh, but they took everything that I gave them and I, I flooded them with, with everything that I had and uh, their guys looked through it and they said it was good. So yeah, that's... I was surprised too. I, I was, I didn't think that it was, we we're going to be able to make it work, but mm-hmm. we ended up, ended up pulling it out. That's yeah, that's awesome. That's the importance of shopping around and getting a, a good lender makes the world of a difference. It really does. So when you bought this uh, new place, what was some of the biggest factors for that? Was it the size of it, the location? 
the opportunity for you guys to hunt out back door? Yeah, it was all of them really. Um, our new, this, this new place here, it's only, uh, it's about and a half an hour from where I grew up. So that's where my parents are at. We've got a two-year-old daughter now and one on the way. So, oh, wow. Excited. It's nice to be close, close to them, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, it works good for work for me. It doesn't really matter where I live because I travel all over New York state and Northern Pennsylvania. Um, so I could be about anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the biggest factor was having timber, timber land out back where we could hunt and, you know, do food plots and all that fun stuff yeah. that everybody wants to do. Yeah, and it's that's, a nice location. It's right on a dead end road. There's only two other houses on this road. So, and no so traffic. was this farm listed previously and then they tried relisting it chopped up or what's the history yeah. of it? Yeah. So the, what we bought, it was part of a larger 120 acre parcel mm-hmm. and the guy had listed it the year before um, and just didn't get any bites on it. It was, it was a good deal for what it is, but the location where we're at, it's, we're not in a very high income area. I mean, the, the meat probably the medium income in this county is, I don't know, 60,000 per household or 50. It's pretty, it's pretty low. Mm-hmm. So just nobody was going to spend that kind of money in this area. So they ended up chunking it up and uh, into the different, different pieces. And the house that we live in now was actually his horse barn because he had a cattle and horse operation. Uh-huh. And then he, when he couldn't sell his house with all the acreage, he ended up pick, turning the barn into a house. And then That's he still cool. lives across the street from us and really? on, his, on his 20 acres he's got left and, uh, uh-huh. and he fixed the barn up into the house and parceled it off with the rest of it. That's pretty cool. That's interesting. That's yeah. uh, so you can tell your kids, uh, what do you think you're born in a barn? <laughs> you, can, <laughs> oh, yeah. you can say, yeah, no, exactly. that's, uh, that's really, uh, unique. Um, so the guy that lives across the street, was he the listing agent too, or was he just, he hired a different company to, to list it? No, um, he, he hired out uh, Whitetail Properties, and mm-hmm. that's who we bought through, and we sold our house through them as well. Yeah, um, good they, fit with the house and acreage. Yes, uh, they were. They did a real good job about you know marketing the land and the views and you know the the rural living kind of thing that you're not going to get from a standard in town realtor, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, they took their time doing. You know, took some really nice pictures of the old old place, and the listing looked really good. So, mm-hmm. uh, very professional. They they did a fantastic job. Yeah, a, a good banker and a good agent goes a long ways, making the process a lot smoother. Exactly, uh, and we got a great lawyer too. So that's, that's even better. <laughs> yeah, you have, I don't know how it is, and you're in Illinois, correct? Yep, yep. Do you have to have a lawyer involved with transactions? No. Or, so, well, for the no. the seller, this an attorney has to do the title work is all. So, mm-hmm. um, what happens here a lot of times is they're called title companies, and yeah. there is an attorney in the office, and <clears throat> it's pretty quick. Honestly, it's pretty cut and dry. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we have here, but some, a lot of times too, people will hire a buyer, a buyer's attorney to represent them. And then the seller has to have some form of representation with the, with an attorney, but the title title companies are pretty cut and dry. They're simple mm-hmm. for the residential stuff where there's knock on wood, really nothing crazy. Usually people just use a title company. Gotcha. So is it, and I don't know how much you know about this. Do you guys have more title work? in comparison to Illinois, like do you guys have really long abstracts or something? Yes. They go back. Okay. That's probably why. They're quite thick. It's, it's yeah, uh, it's quite a bit here in Illinois. They're like six pages. (laughs) Oh no. Our abstract for the last house. Um, they had to be at least a hundred some pages. It was, okay. Yeah, it was, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That makes much more sense. So when, when you guys were, I mean, you kind of, we've, we covered a lot of the, the questions I usually like to 
to get so people can learn through your experience? I mean, was there something in this that you learned to be, I don't know, something surprising or something impactful that you would do something differently next time? I don't think I would do anything different. Um, you know, there's always the, uh, when you're buying and selling, you know, sometimes you put an offer in, they say yes right away. And you're like, dang, dang it. You know, <laughs> I probably could have got, you know, got her for a little bit less, but, mm-hmm. um, I don't, I don't regret what we, you know, we, you know, the, the land ended up being, but rough figures on what the house is worth and what we paid total. I think we paid about 1500 an acre for the land. Oh wow! So, so we got in and pretty good there. That's about the going rate. This County is, you know, like I said, it's, it's pretty about the cheapest real estate you can find around. Uh Um, But no, I wouldn't do anything different with the process. Um, There's a few things with the house that we had to, had to fix right away. You know, just, I don't, the guy that did the work here, he's a nice guy and all, but I don't, he cut a few corners. So I probably should have took a better look around when Mm -hmm. I was, when we were buying it, but other, it was nothing that no, no major issues. Yeah. When you guys were decided to sell, was that a time crunch in, in any way? Or was it just we, okay, we're going to sell, let's start looking. Um, so basically it was a time crunch because we did not, we didn't have our house listed when we put an offer in on this place. Yep. Um, we really, we wanted to make sure we had some place to go before we put our other house on the market. And we put our offer in here and they gave us 90 days to get our other house under contract, which was quite generous mm-hmm. of them. Um, but it, it was a time crunch on that end just, and we ended up having to get an extension. We probably went 15 days over that by the time we closed on the whole deal, but mm-hmm. we were definitely sweating it with the sale of our, our old house, just trying to get the deal done in time. And, yeah. Uh, we had some leverage cause we knew since the market did take a downturn, you know, he could have backed out on selling us this property, but he would have had a heck of a time getting another yeah. buyer. in. So he yeah. was, they were kind of stuck with us. We were stuck with them. Um, Worked out for the best. Really, yeah. They were, they were really good about it. Yeah, but it was uh, it was very nerve wracking because you know the first week the listing for our old house hit and you know you get a bunch of interest right off the bat and we had a bunch of showings and then it went cold for a month. I we might have had one showing in a month on the other uh, place. Yeah, so we were sweating it and uh, <clears throat> we ended up having to take a lower offer than what we wanted just to get it sold. And yeah. uh, but you know it, it is it's it's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. So that was. Yeah. They were the first good offer that we had. So, yeah. And, and, you know, you're moving on to the next stage of your life and, you know, do you really want to maximize every single penny in order to, <laughs> you know, hold up the process of where you want to go and where you end up wanting to live? I mean, there's value in that. Yeah, exactly. And we did, well, within that first week, we had an offer for full list price on our old house for a, a couple from Wisconsin, I think it was. And uh, but it was contingent on them selling their house. So then that would have made us closing on them, waiting on there. There have been a lot of people involved waiting on different houses to close to get to the closing table. Yeah. So we we turned that offer down. We thought, no, nah, there's no way they're going to get their sold within we're the 90 days that we needed to get closed on a new one and they ended up going under contract and selling their house. I looked at it within like two weeks. Oh, <laughs> so we ended up, we lost about, you know, we, their full list price would, would have made us an extra probably 30,000 off of that. If we just took that offer. That's but, a little bit of kick of the shorts, but I mean, what can yeah, you do? It was a kick in the pants for sure. But how are you supposed to know? Like you said, you can't time it. So no, you, you can't. I tell you when I, uh, where I'm, where I'm at now was one of those situations where there was four houses that were contingent. Oh, That's <laughs> four houses that were all one had to close after the other, like all in a span of four, you know, two days or a day and a half. They mm-hmm. all happened. No delays, no extensions. And really? 
I'm like, that is insane. That would never happen again. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a miracle. It, it, truly. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily advise it, but it could happen. <laughs> no, we uh, we had intended on, you know, if we we figured even if we got less than asking price on our old house, we'd still be able to put 100% of the funds at, towards the closing cost of the new property and still not have to put anything down. Then we ended up, you know, we had some money in the bank, but we knew that if we took the offer that we ended up taking, we we're going to have to get some help from the people that we were buying the new property from. Mm-hmm. So we ended up getting some concessions from them. We told them that, you know, we're, we can take this offer and we can close the deal, but I think we needed a couple percent back just to get mm-hmm. through closing. And yeah. they, they agreed to it. So it was a complicated deal, I guess, you know, between selling our place. And then at the last minute we told them, Hey, we got this offer. It's only good for two days but we're going to need some money back from you if we can do it. And the communication was really good between everybody mm-hmm. and they ended up agreeing to it. So that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Th- that's a stressful time going from one. It's one thing just to buy something or it's just one thing to sell something. But when you start mm-hmm. coordinating all those different things, it's uh, gets a little bit more complex pretty quickly. What's uh what's a common myth about purchasing the purchasing process or the land ownership. So this concludes the land ownership as well that you found to be false. Um. I don't know if it's a myth, but um, I think people can probably afford to buy land if they, even if they don't think that they can, you know, mm-hmm. so they might look at the sticker price and think that that's, that's out of their own possibility. But I think if you're honest with yourself and you look at, you know, how much money you have coming in, what your payment's going to look like, I think it's more realistic to buy land than what a lot of people think. Mm-hmm. You know, we, obviously I run my own business and I do pretty well at it, but you know, I make, a little over six figures. Not, I don't make huge, huge money, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, I think it's doable for a lot more people. They're just intimidated by the process and you really just got to get started, you know, talk to somebody that can break down and make sure you have your numbers in order and you're not lying to yourself, but mm-hmm. make sure you talk to somebody that can tell you, Hey, you, you know, you can buy this. It's going to cost you this much a month or whatever. And you're going to have to put this much down. And a lot of people will realize that it's not as far out of reach as they may think. Mm-hmm. Cause I was under the impression when I was younger, you know, if you're going to be a a landowner that you either have to make a whole pile of money or you have to get it given to you basically you know mm-hmm. i didn't think that there was a way that you know the average guy could get into something like that we're at right now but yeah it's, it's, we got lucky a little bit but you know there's some hard work and you know some to be prepared in order to execute against it i mean i, I wouldn't call yeah. it, I, maybe lucky breaks but not lucky overall right uh, to be right, exactly. to be in that position and no that's <clears throat> that's really good advice because I, I think that is a common misconception. I mean, I thought, I thought that too, growing up to be completely honest. And then through this podcast and helping other clients that it, that's not often the case um, It's just what we're conditioned to think. So throughout um, how has it been? The How's the new farm been? I saw that you recently just shot your uh, first deer off the property. The new yep. one. Yeah. The, uh, the hunting was actually pretty slow this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really, we didn't close on it till the end of October. So I didn't get a lot of, Stuff. a lot of ground time to, to get ready. Yep. Um, it was a little slow at first. Um, the land, the folks that we bought it from, they did let me throw a few cameras out while we were still under contract. And I got, I put them up after I got back from a hunting trip in Colorado. So that was like the first, first of October or so that I put them out and we had quite a few nice deer running around, but then it seemed like by the time end of October, I don't know where they went, but they weren't. They weren't here. There. <laughs> no, um, but there's, you know, there the habitats there. It's just there's no food. It's an old, you know, like I said, it's an old cattle operation. So it's just some pastures. 
Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's a lot of pine thickets and swamps and stuff like that out back, but there's there's no f- real food around here for them. So something you can change. something you could fix though. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's the plan for the spring is hopefully get a couple acres worth of, of food back here for them, and I think it'll turn it around quite a bit. Yeah, that's exciting. One other uh, couple more questions, but one of them the the trad bow. How? Yeah. Um, uh, credit to you. What what made you uh, want to go down that that path? And it seems that you you really enjoy it, from what I can tell. I do enjoy it. Um, shoot, probably like 2005 or something like that. I was hanging out with my buddies. I was still in high school then, and uh, one guy found an old. It was a bear Kodiak Magnum in his grandma's attic. So <laughs> it's an old recurve. And he go, I don't know what to do with this thing. You want it? I go, sure, I'll take it. And I had. Um, a dozen arrows they're all bear branded arrows probably from the 70s uh-huh. cedar shanks the whole nine and i didn't know what i had then but i think i probably broke every one of them arrows bouncing them <laughs> off concrete and went out in the backyard i wish i had still had them uh-huh but it was just so much fun you know shooting it i really enjoyed it i still hunt with a compound here or there a little bit mm-hmm. but then when i got out of the I, I was in the marine corps i got out of the marine corps in 2006 or 16 and uh i had a ton of time to hunt then because I, I was working 11 to 7 overnights and uh i was single so i was i was hunting every day pretty much and i just got bitten you know hunting with the recurve and longbows and all that so yeah and i ended up i got lucky 2016 was a the first year i hunted with it full time and i went out to shoot a doe or something in the early season and ended up having a 135 inch eight point walk by and shot him oh my gosh yeah, I was hooked the next few years. I was I was all about it. I ended up I got a custom longbow made by a guy that was fairly local to me within about an hour. And then he said he was getting out of the business. He goes, Do you wanna do you want the bow building business? I go, sure. I always like woodworking and all that. Mm-hmm. So I went there and bought all of his bow building stuff for maybe five hundred bucks. It was super cheap. Uh-huh. And I got into building recurves and longbows and I built a few a couple dozen of them probably. I never sold any, just kind of gave them to buddies and, you know, mm-hmm. hunted with them myself and stuff like that. And then ran out of time with the the baby and all that now. So there's actually another local guy that I, I pretty much gave all the other stuff to. He's he's building some bows now. But That's cool. Yeah, I still mess around with the, take the longbow out every now and then. And But I didn't get much time out this fall to bow hunt, really, just because of the house closing and moving and, and all that it's stuff. It's crazy, yeah. It's a, And it takes a while to get situated and settled, too, once you move in. Oh, yeah, we're still working on it. We got boxes and oh, <laughs> stuff yeah. around here that will probably be, be around for another couple months. But yeah. Well, um, one more question here, and I'll let you get back to your Saturday. But do you think this will be one of the last pieces of ground you own, or do you plan on building onto this farm or maybe scooping something else up in the area? Uh, step, I mean, hopefully it's not the last piece of property that we buy. Um, this is this is where I'm gonna stay forever, but I'm hoping to either add on to it. You know, I've put some feelers out to the neighbors already and let them know that, you know, if you're if you're interested in selling at some point, then, you know, keep me in mind. But mm-hmm. I would like to buy some more property at some point, just from a more of an investment standpoint. Um, I think, you know, land makes a lot of sense to to put your money in that. And yeah, you get to enjoy I don't think it. I, yeah, I wouldn't buy anything. If I bought anything, it would be close enough to where I could still hunt it with relative ease. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy a property just to buy it. If it's a couple hours away, I want something that's useful to me and mm-hmm. hopefully something that has some timber value or, you know, tillable or something. This property here is not really, it's more of a, a farm. Pure farm. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah it's all wreck. There's there's not much for timber value, and really the tillable is not that great either. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I would definitely like to have some more land just for you know a place to put your money. That's a good plan. You know, mm-hmm. it's a fairly safe bet, and you get a lot of a lot of good use out of it. And if I keep it for a while, then sell it to retire, or if I just keep it and the money's good and I can hand it down to my kids, it'd be even better. Mm-hmm. I would definitely like to like to purchase some more though at some point. Yeah. Now uh, we'll finish with this. If you had to give someone a piece of advice right now, maybe they're looking to buy their first house and acreage, or maybe they're looking to buy their first piece of land. What's one piece of advice you would tell them? Well, you could, you could do it like I did if you were in the military that using the VA loan and everything to get into your first property and then building off of that. It's a fantastic way to do it without having to save really anything, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But if you are looking, then like I said earlier, just set your expectations, be honest with yourself, what you can afford. Don't put yourself in a hole, but start, start packing money away in the coffee can and hope hopefully sooner or later you've got enough, but do it sooner rather than later. Cause you know, land prices are not going to come down. I don't think they might stay where they're at, but I can't imagine that they're going to ever come down. So mm-hmm. sooner the better try to get in there while you can. Yeah. Time in the market beats time in the market. Uh, essence of your story too. Uh, yeah. That's what they say. So, yeah. Well, I really appreciate it here, Al. Congratulations on the new place. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. I think there's a lot of good information in this and for any veterans out there, um, a, a great, uh, a great path to follow with what you've done. And obviously it's worked well for you. And um, I've had clients that have done very similar thing to what you've done. So mm-hmm. it works. Um, so yeah, it, feel free to feel free to plug your business. I mean, there's listeners all over. I don't know if you'll get any, mm-hmm. any business from this, but go ahead and plug it if you want and uh, how people can find you. Yeah. So the business is uh, mission diagnostics and uh, we're out of Western New York. And I try, like I said, travel all over New York state, Northern Pennsylvania. I've got clients everywhere from the Adirondacks down to, you know, Scranton and Harrisburg. So we, I get around pretty well. Um, like I said, mainly with the predictive maintenance stuff. And I also do, uh, I do balance work on any sort of rotating machinery. So like forestry mulchers and mulch grinders, if they're out of balance, I balance them up. Um, yeah, we've got a website, missiondiagnostics.com. You can check it out. Give us a call. Um, yeah, be happy to help. I don't try, I try not to travel too far, but like, you know, if they're willing to pay, then I'm willing to go. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate it. Thank you once again. All right. Thank you. You have a good one. There you guys have it. I want to say thanks to Al for taking the time to record and also check out the Exodus Rival. Like I said, you can use the code Rival to save 17% off on the bundle or the camera. This is a great opportunity to buy the brand new Exodus Rival. Show support for everything that we have going on. Certainly appreciate it. Really nothing else here. Hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. Until next time, see ya. We're gonna have Pat Porter on once again next week and he's gonna talk about a variety of land topics that you guys should know. So you guys are not gonna wanna miss that. Until next time, see ya.